Good morning, everybody. I greet you in the name of Jesus. It is good to be together to worship this morning. For an introduction, I want to talk about one of the, uh, maybe you call it a fault or an earthly pleasures that I enjoy in life, something that I think I inherited from my father. Uh, My first one, I think back, it was when I was about 15 years old. My dad and I were driving down 501 down in the mountain trail area somewheres. And there's this old wreck of a car sitting along the road. And I said to my dad, what's that? Oh, that's a, that's a Packard. And he starts telling me about it. Well, do you want to look at it? We went back and looked at it and make a long story short. He says, Would, it wasn't running or anything. He says, well, if I buy it, will you fix it up and drive it? I said, sure, I'd be into that. So he bought the 53 Packard and brought it home. And I spent a year, a year and a half uh, rebuilt in the engine and, and doing the body work and, and learned a lot in that process. And by the time I had my license or shortly thereafter, I had this old beast of a car on the road and that was my first car. I drove it for half a year or something like that until I got something else. But it was, uh, I, I just enjoyed that so much. Taking something old that was seemingly done for, wasn't running anymore, and uh, and rebuilding it and, and getting it back on the road. And over the years, I've, I've done that to various cars and helped my son Tristan do a, an old Buick and had a 48 Chrysler I got running again and sold it. And, and a few years ago, picked up a 46 Ford pickup truck that some of you saw here at the youth thing, and I got that up at Anvil out of some farmer's barn. Not, had not run for 40-some years, and brought it home and just tinkered with it and just get it going again and and uh, just enjoy it just a just a great and get great enjoyment out of that there's a on Facebook there's a group called I think it's filled and barn finds and they have they just list old stuff that they find in either fields or barns all over the country and and I just enjoy watching that. And most times when there's something comes up, it's oftentimes it's from out west, Arizona, Colorado, maybe Texas, where the humidity is not very high and, and apparently things don't rust as bad. And, and so many times, most of the stuff, it's good it's that far away. That way I don't have, I'm not tempted to go drag it home. But my dad was like that as well. He was, uh, he was, doing construction work on a farm over near Buffalo Springs years ago, and and there's this old tractor sitting in the fence row. It was a 1928 Monarch crawler tractor, and he asked the farmer, he said, uh, you know, what, what do you want for that thing sitting out there in the fence row? And the farmer's like, well, make me an offer. My dad said, well, I'll give you $500 for it. And he says, no, oh, it's yours. So he drags this thing home. And puts it up in his shop, and I remember the first time I looked at it, I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? Like, this thing is, this thing is a power rust. It's like, it hasn't run in who knows how many years. And, and Dad started tinkering with that thing, and it was like you couldn't get parts for it anymore. I think Monarch was actually before Alice Chalmers. Alice Chalmers, I believe, bought out Monarch years later, and so it was a tractor, but it had tracks. It didn't even have, it didn't, wasn't a wheel tractor. And you couldn't buy stuff, so he's making gaskets. He took the engine apart. He's machining parts to get this thing running. And, and after a while, he gets this thing running and, and uh, got it painted and, 
and he's driving it around with this really big smile on his face. He just had, took him years, but he just thoroughly enjoyed it. He just would tinker with this thing evenings and what have you and, and got it going again and spent most of what he had in it was time. He spent very little money because, like I said, there was you couldn't buy parts and what have you, but he got it going again. And, and then later on in his life, he says, Lester, I sold the Monarch. Some guy from West Virginia was in here, and he offered me 18000 for it. And I said, it's, you can have it. So $500 out of a fence row, and he ends up selling it for $18,000 and had so much fun and enjoyed fixing it up. Occasionally on this, uh, on the, the field and barn find thing, somebody will post a picture of maybe out in the field of just a frame. Of a, you can tell it was, it was a frame of a vehicle of some sort or maybe a, the, the frame of a tractor with a tree growing up through it and it just looks like it's been there for many, many years. And they'll say, you know, do you think there's any hope for this? And oftentimes somebody always say, yeah, I think you should be able to buff that out. You know, that's, you, that's, you can go for it. You can, you can fix that. But the fact is, it has reached a point of no return. When there, there, are, there are things that it's like, no, there's no hope. This has gone too far. It cannot be brought back. Turn in with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. And as you turn there, I want to make a statement, and that is, and we all know this, but God is in the restoration business, and he knows what fallen mankind was, and he wants to restore them. He wants to bring them back to their former glory in the same sense that I guess it's the passion that some of us have when we look at something old, whether it's a tractor or a car or maybe an old home, and there's just something within us that, that we know that, that when it was new, it was really nice. And now it has fallen into disrepair or it's been in the weather. It is, it's an awful situation, but, oh, if I could bring it back. And, and you, a person like that has to have a vision for what it would look like to bring it back and also a vision of what it originally looked like and, and have a passion to do that, to bring it back. And that is exactly the passion that God has. God has a passion to restore fallen mankind. But when it comes to, when it comes to especially vehicles, not, maybe not so much in buildings and homes and what have you, but in vehicles, like I said before, uh, there, there does come a point of no return where this just simply cannot be brought back. But with God, it's not so. In Mark chapter 10 and uh, verse 27, the scripture says, And Jesus, looking upon them, said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. And so, with God, all things are possible. When God takes on a restoration project and, and God does it, he will do it right and it will be done uh, in, a, in a 
in a really beautiful way. With God, all things are possible, and he'll do it right, and he'll do it right all the time. This verse, uh, let's notice the context of this verse. Mark chapter 10, let's start reading at verse 23. And Jesus looked around about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, and Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. Now, verse 30 is a picture of what one of God's restorations looks like. And it's a really, when you look at all the gloom and doom in the world in which we, in which we live, it is a really neat picture. Uh, you just, just meditate on that verse sometimes. But I also point out, in the middle of that verse, and it ties in with our Sunday school lesson this morning, in the middle of that verse is, and it seems so out of place, and yet it's not. Jesus says, with persecutions, with persecutions. And we talked about in our Sunday school class this morning how it seems like persecutions are so distant from us, and yet in some ways they're not, and there are ways that Christians suffer in, uh, in the country in which we live. And... You've heard this before. You've heard it many times. And you, we can say, yeah, will it ever happen? But I really truly believe that, that we are getting closer and closer in this country to, to Christians being persecuted. We just look back over the last 20, 30, 40 years, and it's, it's coming closer and closer and closer. So let's be prepared. Uh, persecutions do, do go along with all the blessings that Jesus lays out here in verse 30. So with God, all things are possible. And this morning, I've entitled the message, and let's turn to Isaiah chapter 61. I've entitled the message, Beauty for Ashes. Beauty for Ashes. This phrase I've been thinking about for many, many years and uh, been on my bucket list, so to speak, of to have a message sometime on just simply the, the simple phrase, beauty for ashes. In chapter 61 in Isaiah, this is a messianic prophecy starting in verse 1. Let's read the first three verses. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, 
to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified or might be glorified. And we're not going to spend time here on Isaiah 61, but what we want to what we want to pick out of these verses as we go into the New Testament is that God is in the restoration business. God can take ashes and turn them into something beautiful. And and why does he do it? The very uh, last part of verse 3 says uh it is it's the planning of the Lord that he might be glorified. It is God's desire to ultimately be glorified from turning beauty into ashes. This morning I look over the congregation here and I am seeing a lot of ashes that have been turned into beauty in the past. And it brings glory to God. This morning you actually got out of bed and brushed your teeth and and had a light breakfast perhaps and came to church to worship God. We live in a country that is in decline. You know, the, the two churches that we planted, that the Myerstown Congregation planted, Shenandoah and Waterworks, both uh, closed their doors because of a lack of people. And if you look at statistics over the last 20, 30 years, it has been a constant decline in people who are identifying with, uh, with any church group or a, with any kind of church attendance. It's just, the decline just goes, it's just going down, down, down. I think it's in the last 20 years, there's been a 23% decline. And one of the other uh, interesting things about that was that it said that decline, there's a parallel decline that goes with it, and that is of intact marriages, of family units that are intact, is also on the decline. It goes, there's just a parallel to to people that are identifying with church and going to church. And so going to church is not Christianity, but going to church is the fruits of Christianity. And if if churches are going to thrive and and bring glory to God, it's because of of family units and it's because of, of people raising their children, teaching them about Jesus and taking them to church and giving them setting the table, so to speak, for them to one day make that decision to be a Christian and to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so healthy churches are full of intact families with children. What a blessing. I never grow weary of of weddings or of children in church making noise if, if because that's what children do, because it's a sign that uh, God's at work and people love the Lord and, and are, are having families and are taking their children to church. And it's a, it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Now let's go to uh, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verses 18 through 22. And here we have uh, Jesus Uh, repeating some of the verses back in Isaiah 61, 
Luke 4.18 says, And the Spirit of the Lord is, is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears and all bear witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son some 2,000 years ago, Jesus uttered these words in the temple and he truly is still today turning ashes into beauty. Beauty for ashes. Jesus, we look at the world today and it remains, it, it remains true that Jesus is the answer and the only answer to mankind's problems. There is no other answer. We could, they can, you can look social programs, you can go, you can try and uh, come up with all kinds of things, but Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the only answer to the problems, to my individual problems and to the problems for the world. Jesus is the answer. He is the only one that can turn ashes into beauty. What are ashes? Ashes are a result of a fire. You can have coal ashes. You can have wood ashes. Uh, they're the result of, of a fire. They are, when you have ashes, something was consumed. Either it was the coal or the wood, something was consumed to produce ashes. Ashes are evidence that not only was something consumed, but it was also destroyed. You can have, you sit around a fire, you throw a nice oak log on the fire, and after a while it's like, it's gone. It's not, it's not here anymore. But in its place is this little, maybe handful of, of, of ashes that is, is left from it. No one ever wants to experience a, a building fire, a home, or a barn. I know probably most of us uh, are conscious of that and, and tell our children, I grew up on a farm, and I can't tell you how often my father warned me, don't play with matches, don't you keep matches away from the barn. You're going to burn the trash out back, that's fine. You don't take matches into the barn. You don't play with matches. And he was very conscious of, of, uh, of the devastation that can come from something, from a building being burned down. The result, when a building is, is burned or destroyed, the result is you stand there afterwards and what you have is a little pile of ashes. That's it. Where this structure stood that was profitable and... and uh, and was, was being used, now we have some ashes. Beauty for ashes. Is it fair to compare uh, a human life to, to ashes? Let's go back to Genesis. 
Genesis chapter 2, and notice a few verses here. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. With we, Man had a relationship. Adam had a relationship with God. He was destined to live eternally. He was a living soul. God created him perfectly. And then in Genesis 2, verses 18 and 19, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And, and out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought unto Adam to see what he would call them. And uh, it goes on and, and somewhere's here in the next year. He talks about uh, creating Eve from the, takes a rib from Adam's side and creates Eve. And so there we have a helpmeet created for Adam. In verse 24 in Genesis 2, we have, uh, they're, they're brought to, they're, they are unified as a married couple and they have the ability with the two of them to procreate, to bring more humans into the world. In Genesis uh, 2 verses 8 through 10, we have them placed into a beautiful garden and the Lord God planted a garden eastward of Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, tree of knowledge of good and evil. And just a picture of this paradise that God created for Adam. And he then creates Eve. They're in the garden. They're put there to keep the garden. And they are experiencing bliss. They have... Uh, you know, we're not happy if we don't have anything to do. We need something to do. And so they have a garden that they can putter around in and care for and consume the fruit and just, uh, they have a, a relationship with God. They're destined to live eternally. They can procreate. They can have children. They can have grandchildren. They have everything. God did it and he did it right. It's, we could say it simply doesn't get any better than that. You can imagine uh, a beautiful home nestled on a beautiful piece of land with shade trees and fruit trees and a stream and just, just you see a, you just what everybody would desire, be a, a wonderful place to be, uh, perfectly healthy, uh, no sin there, no illness, no sickness. They just had everything. And in, in verses 16 and 17, God said to Adam and Eve, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. We know the story. We know uh, God's instructions to, to Adam and Eve. This is really nice. Uh, you, you guys have everything. 
But what God was really saying to him was, don't play with matches. There is danger here. It is possible that you could burn all this down. Don't play with matches. Don't do it. And in Genesis 3, we're not going to take time to read Genesis 3, but you read through Genesis 3, Satan, a fallen angel, comes and he tempts Eve. And Satan, in a sense, says to Eve, well, what God, God's, God's telling you don't play with matches. God's telling you don't partake of the tree in the midst of the garden. That's ridiculous. You could, he, he just doesn't, matches are fascinating. Uh, you know, you can, there's, it's just, uh, you're missing out. There's something you're missing. You can play with matches. You can eat of that fruit. You can, you can do it. In fact, if you do it, you're going to become like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. God's withholding something from you. And sure enough, Eve lights a match. She hands it to Adam, and they burn the house down. It burns down. There's devastation. And after the devastation, what is left is ashes. God comes and drives them out of the garden. He says, you can't live here anymore. This isn't going to work. And they now have a fallen nature. What was, a, what was a beautiful structure is now but mere ashes. That's all that is left. It's all gone. It's not worth much. I have... Not many. My dad, uh, we changed from burning coal in the farmhouse to fuel probably when I was eight, nine years old, something like that. But I remember uh, a few times taking ashes and uh, getting ashes out of the furnace. And, and I know in the winter time, I remember if it'd be icy driveway and you have something stuck out in the driveway, dad would say, go get some ashes, put ashes down in the driveway. And that's about all the ashes were good for. They had very little value. In fact, they were a pain. You had to get rid of the ashes, get them out of the basement. Not worth much. Kind of like a rusted frame of a vehicle. Very little evidence of what once was. A very dismal, dismal future. When you read the scripture and it talks about the future of the unregenerate, it is dismal. There is nothing to look forward but separation from God throughout eternity and suffering to go along with it. It is very, very dismal. And so I believe it's fair to compare fallen nature to ashes, and I believe that when we reach the age of accountability, we're accountable before God. In a sense, we are ashes that's all that remains of what once was and we have a fallen nature because our great great grandparents Adam and Eve fell in the garden and we're human and it was passed on to us we're born with it and when we become accountable before God we are but ashes Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where I think this is uh, clearly ex explained. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. 
1 Corinthians 15, 45, And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Speaking of Jesus. Howbeit, that was not first, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven and is the earthly. As is the earthly, such are they that are earthly. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit corruption. And we are, so, we are surrounded by evidence in the world in which we live that uh, there, there's just ashes everywhere. Fallen nature is just evident everywhere you look. Pick up a newspaper, read, just, just notice the world in which we live. Uh, there are people out there trying to rip people off and steal just on a daily basis. Spam phone calls, I get them every day. They just come and come and come. And it's just like we live in a fallen, fallen world. And the evidence is, is all around us. Ashes. But God is in the business of turning ashes into beauty. Beauty for ashes. Only God can do it. One of the things that I fear that people try to do, often try to do, is they try to take ashes and to build something from the ashes. It's impossible. I don't know. I know, Kervin, I know you had a barn fire. Your dad had a barn fire years ago. I remember watching it from a distance. After that, after that devastating fire and the barn was on the ground and you stood there looking at the ashes, would have it been possible to rebuild that barn from the ashes? No. There is. It's, it's, it's not happening. It's impossible. You take the ashes from an oak log that just burned and let's put the... No. I'm sorry. It's impossible. It cannot be done. My point is, you can, you can go, if, if you have the fallen nature, you can, you can go for counseling. You can, go, you can try to better your life. You can try to do all kinds of things. You can try to live a better life, but it's all taking the ashes and trying to make something out of it. it it'll never happen. It cannot happen. Only God can take ashes and turn them into beauty. Ashes or beauty for ashes. That's what a religion of works looks like when somebody is playing around with ashes and trying to make something out of them. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags and nothing can be made out of them. And so we often talk about, and Scripture talks about various places. We, when we think of salvation, we think of uh, the ABCs of, of salvation. 
And the, the A stands for admit. For a person to simply admit that uh, I am but ashes, I am a sinner without hope, there is no way that I can restore this relationship that my great-great-grandparents had with God. I can't restore that with God on my own. I'm but ashes. It can't happen. It's impossible. And so I need to admit that that's what I am. And that's right here is where so many people fail. I believe they, they fail to see themselves for what they really are. Their fallen nature and, and what it really is. It's but a heap of ashes from something that was previously glorious. There was a relationship with God. It was glorious, but it's been ruined. It's now ashes. And then the, the B in, in the ABCs of salvation simply stands for believe. Surrender. Put all confidence uh, in the Lord Jesus. Come under his lordship. Believe that he really came into this world, was born of the Virgin Mary, died for our sins in the cross of, of Calvary, and was resurrected again the third day and rose to be seated beside the, in the right hand of his father. To believe that, and therein lies the, the miracle that can happen when a person, when a person believes that and, and confesses, the C and ABCs of salvation stand for confess, confess our sins and invite them into our heart to live, God takes those ashes and turns them into something beautiful. He's done it millions of times. And he's doing it today. And only God can do it. Beauty for ashes. What an absolute contrast when you think about it. You, over here in the land, we have something really beautiful. And over here we have but a pile of ashes. And God can take those ashes and turn them into something beautiful. What he's doing is he is restoring something that Adam and Eve had there in the garden and they burned down. God can take that and restore it. He can restore boys and girls, men and women today to that prior relationship. And do you know, it's actually, there's, there's one ingredient. When, when God does something, he does it right. And when God, when God restores uh, ashes to beauty, there's something that is even more beautiful than what Adam and Eve were in the garden. And so he, 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 rest, he makes it more beautiful. And you know what that ingredient is? Do you know what it is that, that is more beautiful about you brothers and sisters who have been restored from ashes to beauty? Do you know what it is? We have chosen to love and to serve God of our own free will, Adam and Eve were made that way. They never chose to serve God. They chose to disobey God and fell from grace. We have making the choice that we are going to serve and to worship God. And, and uh, when we do that, he takes us and restores that meager little pal of ashes destined for a very, very dismal future 
and he takes it and he restores it into something that is so, so beautiful. Let's go back to Genesis. Uh, just the first two verses in the Bible. I, was, I used these verses in a devotional last Sunday at, a, at an ordination, and I've just been thinking about it ever since. Uh, you, sometimes you read through the Bible and you just kind of miss something, but in Genesis chapter 1, the first two verses, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And, and so here we have a, a picture of, of darkness and void and, and something that is just, you would look at it and you say it's not beautiful, it's just not, there's just really nothing there or very little, maybe some ashes. And then the Bible says in the middle of verse 2, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And you read through Genesis chapter 1, and you know what happened? God created the beautiful world in which we live. Look around. Look at the mountains. Look at the rivers. Look at the trees. It's beautiful. And it happened by God moving. By God, it says, and the Spirit of God moved. And that is exactly what happens when God turns, when, when God takes ashes and turn, turns them into beauty, the Spirit of God moves. And it can happen no other way. And so, you're born again today. It's because the Spirit of God moved on your life. He took those ashes and turned them into something beautiful. Go to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3, and verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. Now notice, let, let's notice what Jesus says here. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Impossible. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. It's like dust and, or like ashes. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whether it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. An absolute miracle. Beauty from ashes. Only God can do it. When God does it, he does it right. 
I believe that those of us who are spiritual can recognize the difference between beauty and ashes. You see, it's a spiritual thing. We can recognize ashes when we see them, and we can recognize beauty. Maybe sometimes we ponder, what am I seeing here? What is this? But we would have to admit that there's a stark contrast between ashes and something that's really beautiful. And we know that if something's really beautiful, we know that God did it. No other way could have it happened. God did it. I want to close this morning with, uh, and let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Sometimes, uh, or, or most times, it's, we have to be very careful when, uh, when you're speaking publicly uh, about speaking about people. I'm very sensitive to that. And sometimes uh, I have already, if I wanted to, wanted to share a story, story, I would check with somebody and say, is this okay? Would you mind if I tell this story? And as I was preparing this message, I just kept thinking of somebody and somebody a lot of us know, maybe not, I'm sure all of us don't know him, but a lot of us know him, knew him, and uh, his body lies out here in the cemetery, and it's Harry Diefenbach. And I can't ask Harry if it's okay to share this story or not, but I believe that God is honored by this story, and I believe if Harry would be here, he would say, you go ahead and tell that story, I don't have a problem with it. And so I want to I close this morning thinking a little bit about an experience that I had with, with Harry Diefenbach. Harry, Harry grew up, and Harry was, uh, went to church, I think, most of his life, and cont- had, had various problems, had problems at work sometimes, and, just, and, and, and as in, when he was an older man, there was a there was a situation that uh, we as we as ministry were asked to deal with, and and so Harry Harry had to be confronted, talked to, try to help him out. And Mel Jr. and I met with Harry one day and discussing this and trying to help him out. And our cons- Mel and my concern were to help him out spiritually. And we, we, we recognize this is a spiritual problem and probably a very deep-rooted spiritual problem. And we, uh, in our conversation, uh, I asked Harry, I said, Harry, are you certain, are you certain that you're born again? And Harry got angry with me, very angry, very angry. And after he cooled down, I said to Harry, I said, now I know for sure you're not born again. And then he was really angry. And then he, he cooled down again, and he said, why do you say that? And I said, because to a Christian, it should never, a, a Christian would never be offended by somebody asking, are you sure you're born again? 
Because if we're born again, we know we're born again, and we can we can explain when it happened, why, and and it's that it's not. You can ask, "Are you born again?" Yes, I'm born again. I have. It, it's a story we have to tell, but it's but no reason to get to get angry, and and then Harry started crying and crying and crying, and he said, "I, I don't know. I don't know what to do." And, and so we went to Galatians chapter 5, and we read the, the works of the flesh in verses 16 through 21, and then also the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 through 25, and simply said, where, where, do you, where does your life line up? Where do you identify with which? And, and he said, brothers, tell me how to be born again. And Mel and I led him and just led him to the Lord and talked to him the next day. And he just, he was, he was, we left that day, he was beaming. He was just beaming. And talked to him the next day. He said, I never knew the stars were this bright. The stars are so bright. I went out that night. He said, the stars are just so bright. And in his latter years, Harry met the Lord, and God turned ashes into beauty. And so, I really believe that if we're serious with ourselves, and we take Galatians chapter 5, and we study the works of the flesh, and the fruit of the Spirit, and we ask God, where do I fit in this? Where, where do I? And we seriously ponder the question, and it doesn't make us angry, am I really born again? Am I born again? I believe that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt whether God has turned my little handful of ashes into something beautiful. Beauty for ashes. Only God can do it. I know he's done it to a lot of you. And I want everybody, I want everybody not only in this sanctuary today, but everybody in the world to experience the beauty of having been turned into something beautiful from a little, mere little pile of, of ashes. So my challenge to, to each one of us this week is if, if, God has, if God has turned your turned your ashes into something beautiful, praise him for it. The Bible says that he did it so that he could be honored and glorified. Honor and glorify him with your life. And if you're not experiencing something beautiful, Ask yourself why and seriously consider the question whether you've been born again or not. And if you haven't been born again, get born again. And it happens by admitting what we are and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and confessing our sins and repenting and turning to him. And he will turn beauty into ashes. He does it every time that a sincere soul comes to him 
seeking him. Let's stand together for a prayer of dismissal. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence with us this morning. I thank you for dying on the cross and giving of your life so that we can have an experienced spiritual life. We recognize, Lord, that we were but mere ashes, and you took that and turned it into something very beautiful. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in bringing, bringing honor and glory to you through the beauty that you have created. And, oh, Lord, for those who are still ashes because of the sin that they inherited through flesh, through Adam and Eve, I just pray that they would turn to you and truly seek you and find the same beauty that all of your children have found. Lord, we thank you for your many, many blessings and just ask that you would continue to guide us and direct us in life. So we leave here this morning, we, I ask that your presence would go with us and that your grace and your mercy and your peace would be our portion. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for your attendance, you are dismissed.